Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Palm Sunday. So glad that you are here. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney. And uh, as Alex mentioned, each and every week is someone's first time. That's a big deal to us. And so if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, and if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. You may be wondering, okay, what is Palm Sunday? Uh, maybe you've heard of it, you've been in and around church, but the simple way to put it, it's the beginning of Passion Week, uh, Holy Week as some would call it as well, and uh, it really is the last stop on our journey towards Easter. And so our heart for you and for your family is that you have a better understanding of the significance of Palm Sunday, and, and even for those of you that have uh, little ones, we want to equip you with resources and being able to dialogue and have conversations with your little ones uh, about. Holy Week and Easter, and so we actually have a little kind of coloring sheet and, and kind of some talking points that we want to put in your hands. Every child back there is going to get one of these, and so it creates an opportunity. It's a little Bible story, family activity, and that'll help you just have conversations about the significance of this week and the power of what we're going to experience on Easter Sunday. And so we're grateful for you. We're, we're very excited about it, and we're very excited about you being able to have these great conversations. And so, you know, if you think about Palm Sunday, you may go, well, you know, I've, I've heard of Palm Sunday, but, but what is it really? I've kind of been in and around it. Well, it's more than just a religious uh, event or moment. And, and if you're in a place where you're like, what is Palm Sunday really? Can I tell you, you're in good company. Because the people at that time didn't really know the significance of the moment they were in either. So they're living in the moment and don't fully understand it. So if you're at some level going, what is Palm Sunday? It's more than just a Sunday before Easter, okay? You're in good company. It's okay. And so we're going to unpack what does that look like? What does it mean? What is the significance of Palm Sunday? Because you see, as we look at Palm Sunday, it helps us prepare for Easter. It shows us who God is. I don't know if you've ever had this thought. Have you ever been in one of life's moments where it's like a significant moment? It's something you're looking forward to. It's really exciting, but it doesn't really happen the way you thought. You ever had those moments? Like things just don't happen the way you thought. And it could be a good thing. Sometimes it's a challenging or difficult thing. Um, but you think about maybe some good things like experiences that you've had or a, a destination or a trip that you wanted to go on. And it just kind of was not what you thought. Maybe the birth of your first child or the birth of a child as a whole. It's like, hey, it's going to look this way. And then it doesn't look like you thought. I, I thought of a couple of moments for me like that. I thought about I've shared this with you before. I grew up in Austin. I live outdoors. I love hiking. And, and Pastor Tyron, who is at our Keller campus, he enjoys it as well. He, had, he and his wife, Betsy, uh, had been going to the Pacific Northwest and doing some hiking. So he texted me one evening. It was probably about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and he was like, you, me, Wonderland hike. I was like, all right, I'm down. Let's do it. You know, I had no idea. So I Google Wonderland hike. All right. Well, it's 100 miles around Mount Rainier. Okay, in Washington State. Now, we're not going up Mount Rainier, but you're going around it. So for whatever reason, I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I've taken a couple strolls out of Irwin Park. I can certainly do 100 miles around Mount Rainier. What's the big deal? So we decided to venture off and do this hike. And so it was myself, and it was Pastor Tyron, it was Pastor Pat, and, and typically it takes about 12 to 14 days. For whatever reason, we thought it would be a good idea to try and do it in six 
So we're hiking and we're going. And if you've ever been in those moments where, you, like I said, you do stuff. It doesn't go the way you thought. You start questioning life choices. We had it really early on, day two. We hiked for 18 hours. It was 21 miles, okay? It's like 11 o'clock at night. We're coming into camp. We're like questioning life choices right now. We're like, what are we thinking, okay? And we're just going and, you know, we're thinking to ourselves, they said it would be beautiful. They said you'll eat berries off of the trail. They said it'll be fun. Yeah, it was all those things, but it was also a beatdown in some points. I'm like, what are we doing? Well, that wasn't even the moment where we started going, why is this not happening the way we thought? It was day five. It was the day before our last hike. It's about almost eight o'clock. We uh, are about a mile down the mountain and from where camp is at. And lo and behold, Pastor Pat, he just like, he was dialed in. Okay, Pastor Pat's a little bit older than Tyron and I are, but, you know, he, he was dialed in. He was ready to go. We had him hopped up on Sour Patch Kids and chocolate. And he was like, let's go. And he's out in front of us. All of a sudden, we hear this yell. I'm like, what's happening? We come around the corner, and Pastor Pat decided it would be a good idea about a mile down from camp to break his leg on the side of a mountain. So we're like going into like, what do we do? This is not what we thought. We pull him over. We're right next to this, basically a rock ravine. It's like an old washout from a waterfall. We're about 4,000 foot elevation. We use our little Garmin inReach. You know, it's like triangulating our position. It's this SOS. And so they're texting with us, like a little app. They're texting with us. He's not in dire straits, and he's going to be okay. He's going to be uncomfortable because the sun had just set. They're like, we'll come out in the morning. Well, I guess in, 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 on the West Coast, the morning is like 11 a.m. So we were on the side of the mountain for about 15 hours before they got to us, okay? Uh, poor Pastor Pat, he had a significant more amount of Sour Patch Kids and chocolate, ran out of that. He had one round of ibuprofen, two Tylenol, and that brother was a trooper. So about 15 hours, had a broken leg right above his ankle. He broke his tib-fib, and it was like, it was not, can I tell you, it didn't happen the way we thought. So we get there, and they're like, all right, they're going to helicopter him out. This is where we'll get a video. You know, you have those moments. you say, i got to capture this on video, right? So, but no, there's too much smoke. So we had to hike him out three and a half miles in a big old, it's called a litter, a big old ATV wheel on it. So we hiked three and a half miles out to the nearest road, put him in an ambulance, and we get to the hospital. He's okay. He's awesome. He loved it so much. He's like, hey, let's go again next year. So last year we hiked again, and it was awesome, and he's doing fine. He's fully recovered. But can I tell you, didn't happen the way I thought. Big moment. We're like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Wasn't expecting someone that was with us to break their leg on the side of a mountain. I had another thought like that. I had another moment. I was thinking about, you know, the birth of our third little girl, Meadow. You know, I had two little girls before that. And each one had a a unique circumstance around each birth. Well, Meadow was no different. She wanted to truck along and kind of keep pace with her older sisters. So there were some things where we were needing to go to a high-risk pregnancy doctor and Wendy's normal physician about, you know, every other day. And so we were seeing the doctor about every day, every other day, every two days. Well, we did this for about three weeks. She's probably about five or so weeks, you know, prior to her her scheduled due date. We go in. Well, Wendy's sister is a labor and delivery nurse. And she said, listen, they may take the baby. I don't know, but I would just encourage you, don't eat anything. Okay, now imagine, you're nine months pregnant, ladies. Your sister tells you, don't eat anything. So the last thing you've had was something the night before. I mean... Let's just say Wendy was in full-on 
hangry mode, okay? To the point where the, the ultrasound tech comes in. I mean, she would she had she would have been great at poker. She had a solid poker face. Didn't let on about anything. Wendy's like, I'm so hungry. I'm just, she was about to just go full, just full on, just in this bag of like trail mixed something nuts that she had. She's hungry. I said, babe, you've waited this long, just wait. So sure enough, we come in. The doctor says, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Lerma, I will meet you at Women's and Children's Hospital at 6 p.m. Meadow is coming today. We're like, okay, all right. We get in the car. What do we do with the other two kids? We go down there, and sure enough, there's Meadow. Meadow loved it so much. She was so excited about being there. She decided to make it a three-week stay in the NICU. It was awesome, all sorts of fun stuff. And can I tell you, it happened, and we're excited about this moment, but it didn't go the way we thought. Now, you may go, well, I'm not really into hiking, and now that you shared that story, Pastor Chris, I'm not. I'm sticking to Irwin Park. You may not have children. You may not have had experience like that, but we all come to life's most significant moments. And things don't go the way we thought. You see, that's what's happening on Palm Sunday. It was a big moment. They knew something big was happening, but it wasn't happening the way they thought. So how do we navigate that? What do we do with that? What does that look like? Why is this such a big deal? Well, here's the reason why. Because when we are in life's biggest moments, we all want to be ready. We want to know what's going to happen. God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Can you give me the 411? Can you let me know how this is going to play out? Can I get a SWOT analysis on what this is going to end up like? Whatever it is and whatever your flow may be, that's what we want to know. Because it's in that moment that we feel like we're experiencing an ease from the tension that's pressing in on us. The pressure that we feel. You see, but then that tension is increased because what happens is as we are in that moment, can I tell you what it produces? We get fearful. We have anxiety. We're wondering, what's this going to look like? And so what we all do is we're looking for information or someone that can go ahead of us and help us make sense of what we're experiencing. Can I tell you what I love about Palm Sunday and what I love about Jesus? Jesus is the one that helps us make sense of life's biggest moments. Jesus is the one that brings clarity. Jesus is the one that brings peace. Jesus is the one that gives us the direction, the answer, and the clarity that we need. And he's doing that today, and he was doing it thousands of years ago on Palm Sunday. I want you to open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, verse 35. You may be wondering, why does Jesus operate this way? Why, does he, why, does it, why is it like this? Why does he work in ways that we don't always understand or see? Well, here's what I want you to get, is that I want you to recognize that more than ease from the tension you're experiencing, more than clarity about the decision you need to make, more than a relief from the pressure that you feel, what you need is Jesus. He's doing it because it causes you to lean into him and trust him. Because the solution to your problems and the thing that you need is not really going to give you the relief that you're looking for. What we need is the presence of Jesus in our life. And that is what Jesus is focusing in on on Palm Sunday. What I love about Palm Sunday is that it's so intentional. Jesus is being intentional. Because again, the people recognize something big's happening. But it doesn't look the way I thought. It's not playing out the way I thought. And that's what we're going to look at here in, in Luke chapter 19. Now, I want to give you a little context here. The significant part about this story in the Gospels 
There's only about ten different moments where all four Gospels actually sync up and tell the exact same story. This is one of them, Palm Sunday. Now, all the Gospels sync up as a whole in the entirety about the story of Jesus, but all have different perspectives. One was a former tax collector. One was a physician. If you're really into the details, you're like, why is this and why is that? What Read Luke. Luke had a medical background. He liked giving all the details. You'll find the book of Luke in the Gospels gives far more detail than any of the Gospels. John, John was kind of artistic. He was a writer. He, he, he would pen much of, of what we read uh, later on. And, and what's unique about John, John was real emotional and, and connected. That's why we encourage you when you first give your life to the Lord, read the book of John. Because it's very much written in the context of a relational engagement and interaction. But it's unique because, you know... In the books, as you read the Gospels, you know, some of you may know John as John the Beloved. I don't know if you knew this, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't refer to John as John the Beloved. The only place you see John the Beloved is, guess where? In the book of John. John's like, I'm the favorite. I mean, maybe I, if I wrote a gospel, I'd say the same thing. I'm Chris the Beloved. You know, I don't know. But everyone has a different perspective. And so while they all have a different lens that they're viewing it through, they're syncing up about this moment And it's similar across all four Gospels. Jesus asked them, he says, look, I want you to go and get this colt, get this donkey, and I'm going to use it to come in to the city of Jerusalem. I'm coming in in this moment, and here's what's so significant. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the colt and the significance of that. But here's what I want you to picture in your mind. Maybe you're into sports. We just celebrated. I say celebrated. Maybe some of you celebrated. Some of you wept. But we just had the Super Bowl. Your chair, maybe your team. Pray for us, Cowboy fans. We've, it's, been a, it's been a dry season, but we believe the Lord may be able to do it this year. But it's been a while since we've experienced one of those victory parades. Because when a champion wins, that's what they do. And you think about your picture of what a victory parade looks like. That's similar to what's happening here, but it pales in comparison. Those Super Bowl moments or those victory parades for those championship sports teams, they pale in comparison to what is happening here in this moment in this triumphal entry of the Messiah, Jesus, coming into the city. Luke chapter 19 Verse 35, it says, they brought it to Jesus, speaking of the colt, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, spreading their cloaks on the road, that's a similar practice that was something that they did oftentimes during this time. What did it represent? It represented the honoring and the reflection of a king or a conquering individual coming in. They're recognizing what's happening. But I want you to recognize the significance. Why a colt? Some translations say a donkey. Well, you, you think of a horse. A horse would equate to war, battle, authority, conquest. There is a, a forceful overtaking. Okay? But he comes in on a, on a colt, on a donkey. Why? Because that's symbolic of humility. A colt sits lower. It, it allows him to, he's communicating, connecting with the common people. He's going, I'm not coming in to lord anything over you in this authoritative way. A, a colt also represented peace. Because he's saying, while he rightfully could come in on a horse, being triumphal, being, being, being elevated above everything else, what he does, though, is say, no, 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 I came to give peace, and that's what I want to focus on. That's what he's dialing into. 
So here's, here's what then continues to happen. Verse 37, you can read along. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices of all miracles they had seen. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if you keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, I want you to to understand, maybe you're familiar with that, that the rocks will cry out. You're seeing here where what's happening is they're singing this song and and they're blessing the king. And as they're singing this song, what it was is during Passover, they would sing this song and declare to God how good he was. It was a part of this triumphal entry. But he says this, he says, unless the rocks cry out or unless you worship, the rocks will cry out. Now, as I was studying about this, this is something that I learned this week. I want to give you just the context of what's happening here. You see, they were coming down from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives faces the east gate. This is the east gate. Why is that significant? Because it's said that the coming Messiah, the king, is going to come through the east gate. Okay? They're gonna, it's going to come. This is the temple, that gold dome. It's the temple. This is the east gate. Okay, now, it was destroyed. And I'll explain to you when and how that was destroyed. So this is it being rebuilt. But it says, the rocks will cry out. Now, here's what I learned. I don't know about you, but I remember thinking that, singing songs about that, reading that. I always thought like rocks, pebbles, like the rocks outside and the flower beds. That's not what it means. You see all this right here? These are tombs. It's tombstones. Now, why did they bury themselves? They were buried here facing the east gate because the thought was that when the Messiah came, they would simply raise out of their graves to worship him. So what he's saying is if you don't worship me, even the dead will worship me. He's not talking about rocks like you see in a flower bed. He's talking about a tombstone. The stones will cry out. So he's saying even when you don't worship me, even the dead, the dead will if you don't. So it goes on and we, we read along and what does he say? Verse 42 And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Why is that significant? See, not only did they not have peace, they didn't know how to acquire it. We all can feel, and in this moment, if I just had blank, if I could just experience blank, then I'll have peace. I'll have the relief that I need. But he's saying, the only place you're going to find peace is in me. In fact, I have a peace that you cannot find anywhere else. So he's setting them up here and he's preparing them. In verse 43, it says, The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within the, in your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And you may say, wow, Chris, that's, I mean, that's pretty dark. Man, it's Palm Sunday. I mean, I thought it was going to be bright and airy. You're going to give us a palm, you know, when we walk out and we can wave it. Like what? Like what? You see, what he's talking about here is 40 years later, the city's going to be destroyed. That's what it's referring to. 
Rome actually is going to come in and the Romans are going to destroy the city. They actually destroy that eastern gate. That's why it's rebuilt. What we saw, what you saw circled in red, that's the rebuilt gate. The Romans came in and destroyed it. You know why they destroyed it? They destroyed it because they said, we're going to close off and destroy any way. They knew. They knew what it said about the Messiah coming to conquer and, 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 and give victory. So they destroyed the gate for him to come through. Because again, something significant is happening, but it's not happening the way they thought. Even the Romans, 40 years later, they have no context. The the gate is destroyed because they think an actual person is going to come through that gate. And so they're going, well, we're not going to make a way for that individual to come in. You see, in the midst of all this, it's not happening the way they thought. They thought the Messiah was going to come as a conquering ruler and king and overthrow the governments and the officials that are oppressing them. But that's not what happened. He didn't come on a war horse, he came on a donkey. He didn't come to bring war, he came to bring peace. He didn't come to ease their challenges and their circumstances. He came to do something far greater. Because when we think of Jesus, we want Jesus to solve our problems and help us with our issues. But Jesus is saying, I didn't come for the symptom. I came to address the source. I came to die on the cross that you may experience peace. That I came to die for your sin, your guilt, and your shame. That you may experience freedom that otherwise you would not. And experience peace in ways that you will not be able to experience. That's why Jesus came. He said, I came to change the game. You want ease from your issue. I'm going to come and change your heart. That's the significance of Palm Sunday, but it didn't look like they thought. They thought it's going to look one way, but it looks a completely different way. And when you continue to read, even in this chapter, in in chapter 19, actually verse 51, it says that Jesus, he was so dialed into this. He was thinking so much about you and me. It said that his face was like flint to Jerusalem. He was dialed into the mission. He was intentional about what was going to happen and what he was there to do that we may experience life and life abundantly. I thought about this to kind of help you understand this journey towards Easter. And I think about Holy Week. And, and, and when you think about this week, Monday, Monday really represents, it's, it's where Jesus curses the fig tree and he cleanses the temple. It's really a day of preparation. They call Tuesday Busy Tuesday. Why? Because he has three specific interactions, teachings, and and essentially uh, conversations or confrontations with religious leaders. On Wednesday, they call it Silent Wednesday. It's it, it really is silent. The, the 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 religious leaders were conspiring on how to capture Jesus. But you know what Jesus was doing? He's doing what he often did. He was off praying and talking to his heavenly Father. Thursday is Holy Thursday. It's the Last Supper, similar to what we just experienced as we received communion. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. There's the betrayal, the arrest, the trial, and then he's jailed. And then Good Friday, where he's beaten, mocked, paraded, stripped, crucified, and buried. By 9 a.m. that morning, he'll hang on the cross for six hours and then breathe his last breath. On Saturday, the Romans are guarding the tomb. There's not a lot externally going on, but it's actually called the Shabbat where God and Jesus are resting. They're preparing for what's about to happen the next day. And then Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. He, he appears on, on the Emmaus Road to the disciples. 
he, he, he's there and the report comes that they go and they're going to go and prepare what they think is a body. But the report is he's not here. And it's the day where we celebrate Jesus' victory over death, hell, and the grave. And you go, well, okay, Pastor Chris, why are you, why are you telling us this? Is there going to be a test? Like, do, do I need to know? Do I need to take a picture, study this, and next weekend on our Easter services, you're going to... No, it's not about the information. What I want you to understand is the great links that Jesus went to for you and for me because he loves us. The intentionality and in Palm Sunday helps us see that and reminds us of that and allows us to build trust and confidence in a God who loves us and has a plan and purpose for us. You see, the thing is, trust is hard. We don't really do trust well. Let's just be honest. I remember having a conversation with someone. They said, I don't trust anybody. I said, well, that's a problem. That's going to be real hard to live life. You know, it's funny. As you, some of you are in the medical field. Did you know 81% of individuals lie to their doctor? We don't even trust people that are trying to help us. Like, that doctor trying to help us, you're lying to the doctor. 81%. I've talked to some physicians. I've heard. I have some, some friends that are physicians. They're like, oh, it's higher. <laughs> it's higher. Because we don't trust. We have a hard time trusting. But Jesus comes and he begins to make a way. You see, I think about all the things God's done in my life. You've heard me share this before. You see, he's working and moving. God's doing 10,000 things on your behalf, and you may be aware of three of them. God's doing something big in your life, and it may not look the way you thought. And it brings that tension and anxiety and uncertainty, and you're trying to find relief in an answer or a solution like it's an equation when the peace that you're looking for is found in a presence, and it's the presence of Jesus in your life. I can remember... Six and a half, almost seven years ago, helping put on Easter services. We were at an amazing church in Lafayette, Louisiana, and we were there 13 years. I thought we'd be there forever. We're going to be there the rest of our lives. Our kids were all born in Louisiana. Wendy's from New Orleans. I got a Cajun queen, three little Cajun princesses. We're going to eat crawfish and boudin the rest of our life, and it's going to be great. Okay? Which I didn't eat that much boudin and crawfish, but it's good when I ate it. And God started working and moving. And I'm like, God, what are, you, what are you up to? And, of course, there's this tension, and, and you're thinking and asking and wondering. And lo and behold, God brings us back to Texas. And we move to the Keller Hazard area. We become a part of the Milestone team. And then two and a half years after that, we move out to McKinney, Texas. And now we're here with you. And we think about the relationships we've built. We think about what God has been doing. And can I tell you, all that time, years and years ago, you know what God saw? He saw this. He saw us being in McKinney. I didn't see it. It didn't work out. I'm not smart enough for it to work out this way. God was doing things on my behalf. And I was unaware of it. You see, God is doing something big and significant on Palm Sunday and in your life. It just may not be looking the way you thought. Seven years ago, you asked me if I'd ever be back in Texas. I would have said, no way. Now I'm here with you. You go, you think you'll ever leave McKinney? No way. God's working and moving. It just doesn't look the way we thought. So what does Palm Sunday show us? 
What do we learn from this? What, what do we take and walk away with that we actually apply for our life in this significant moment? I think the first is this. We have to recognize God's always out in front of us preparing a way for us. John 14, one of my favorite chapters, really John 14, 15, 16 all together, but John 14 is the beginning of the farewell discourse. He says this, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. That is the significance of what Jesus does in our life. He goes before you and he prepares a place for you. It's who he is. It's how he operates. It's what he's doing. He is leading you out and he goes out in front. But the truth is things are hard. Things are challenging. It's difficult. But can I tell you, as difficult as it is, it's still simple. It's simple because what God is doing is you hear that and you think, well, if he's out in front of me, he goes to prepare a place. But I feel this tension, this uncertainty. What do I do with that? Trust him. Calm your heart. Calm your mind. Trust in him. Remember his goodness. In fact, that's what Palm Sunday is. That's what communion is. It's a reminder. He's out in front of me. So what do I do? Just take your next step. God's calling you to a next step. Just simply be obedient to live a life of taking next steps to trust in him. I think about that thought. Like I, I don't know about you, but for me, I get fascinated by the, the aspect of, of Finding like the fullness of human potential. Not just simply from a scientific or leadership standpoint. Like I'm viewing it through the lens of how God wires each of us uniquely. And when I think about that and I think about how God's working and moving and and what he's doing. and, And what it looks like to actually operate in the fullness of who we're called to be. I get fascinated and when you actually look that up and begin to study that you begin to find this one individual that's always associated with this significant thought from a scientific standpoint. He's a psychologist, and his name, it's really unique. You can go and look it up and try and pronounce it. It took me a minute to actually figure out how to pronounce it, but thank goodness, hooked on phonics worked for me. His name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, it ain't spelled like that. But he has this thought, and he talks about this flow state. What is this flow state? You ever felt like I'm in the zone? I'm dialed in. The flow state is when you're in the zone. It's you're in this moment of executing at the fullness of your human potential. And when you come into a relationship with Jesus, can I tell you, you have access to that more than you even think about. You can even look at the science of rewriting your neuropathways and, and the, the correlation of when someone gives their life to the Lord. Honestly, I think it's the working of the Holy Spirit in our life and how it helps us do those things. But he says these three things. Mihai says there's three things that help us end up in this flow state. First is this, clearly stated goals you got to have a clearly stated goal. What's my mission? What am I working towards? But that goal's got to be meaningful to you. Does it mean something? But here's the third thing. If you're going to get into that zone, that's where you want to be. I want to be in the zone. If you're going to get into that zone, the third thing you need is it has to be at the edge of your ability. Now you go, well, Pastor Chris, what does that have to do with Palm Sunday? Well, that's what Jesus was doing. You see, he's calling you. And he's saying, I'm calling you into something far greater than you can do in your own strength. I'm out ahead of you. I'm preparing a way for you. And I'm calling you out beyond your own ability. Because you're talented. You're gifted. You're well-educated. You're well-informed. You're well-experienced. But what I'm calling you to is beyond that. 
will you come? Will you trust me? You see, because here's the thing. We don't grow in easy. We grow when we do hard. But we don't like hard. Man, that scripture, carry your cross. Can I get some pad, padding on that? How about them rollers like on your luggage? I can, a little easier, you know what I mean? That's what we like. We don't like hard. You think, man, Pastor Chris, you're stepping on toes. Hey, I'm with you. I'm in the same camp. You've heard me say it before. Oftentimes we stop moving forward, not because we're in pain, but because we're uncomfortable. But you don't grow in comfortable. You don't grow in predictable. You grow when Jesus is saying, follow me. Trust me. And you're uncertain about it. It's a little new to you. You don't know what's going on and you can't see what's actually happening. But can I tell you, what's happening is God is calling you out. Sociologists call it desired difficulty. Which means you're at the edge of your own ability. And in order for you to accomplish what it is you're needing to do, you need to look outside of yourself and trust and lean into someone who's further along. Can I tell you something? We have that in Jesus. And he's saying, I'm calling you. Will you come? See, Palm Sunday reminds us that he's gone to prepare a place. And what he's calling you to is beyond. It it starts at the moment. Perhaps you're in here today. You don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You're uncomfortable. That's hard. You're like, Pastor Chris, if you knew what I did and where I've been and this, that, and the other and all these. He's calling you. It could be stepping out and growing in your marriage and relationship and communication. It could be dealing with past hurt and wounds. It could be actually stepping out and going, okay, what does it look like to get involved and engage or maybe serve or use my gifting and talents to build the kingdom? What does it look like to have a kingdom-minded vision? All of those things. He's calling you and he's saying, will you trust me? But here's what begins to happen. Here's the second thing that Palm Sunday shows us. It, it's, it, it shows us that it's easy to miss the big moments where we can be with God. It's a big moment, but it didn't look how they thought. Can I tell you, we live in a season and a context where we are so distracted. I used to take pride. I'm a multitasker. I can do this. The team was kind of laughing at me. We're getting all these little things done yesterday. They're like, Pastor Chris, like squirrel projects. I'd be like, all right, we're going to do the beds. And all of a sudden, where's Pastor Chris? And I'm like putting on doorstops. And then where's he at now? He's like working on plumbing. And then he's doing this. And needless to say, basically, I got to have an electrician and a plumber come back and fix everything that I did wrong. Okay. So, you know, it's like, all right. They're, they're like, but we get distracted. Just squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. You think about, even like, think about reading books and and educating and learning. Can I tell you, since 1978, which just stuck out to me because that's the, the year of my birth. 1978, three times more people read a book in a year than they do today. People spend 17 minutes, on average, reading a book, but five hours and 20 minutes on their phone. You go, Pastor Chris, is this about us reading more books? No, this is about understanding there's a war for your attention. And God wants to speak with you. He wants to meet with you. There's a significant moment he wants to have with you. But where could you be missing it? Because you're distracted. Where is it that God is wanting to speak to you and lead you and comfort you and give direction and insight? But we're missing it. I'm not telling you this to condemn you. I'm telling you to inspire you because God wants to speak to you. But are you slowing down enough to listen? Are you quieting the noise and the distractions to allow yourself 
to meet with him and recognize the big moment that you're in. But the thing is, it doesn't look like you thought. Because you think the big moment happens on Sunday. Something that I say or some illustration I throw up here. You think it happens like when someone else at Milestone Church up front at the end of service prays with you. You think that big moment happens like at a conference or uh, watching some particular. Can I tell you when that big moment happens? It could be happening while you're loading the dishwasher. While you're mowing the yard. While you're in that commute that should be 20 minutes and it's an hour and a half. He speaks to you. Don't miss it. But here's the thing. When we meet with Jesus and he begins to speak to us, what I love is he never talks to us about ourselves. He always talks to us about people, about others. That's what Palm Sunday reminds us of. Lastly is this, that God always comes to us in order to work through us. You see, it's always bigger than you. It's never an isolated event. He's always concerned with others. When he was meeting with the disciples, when he was speaking to them, he wasn't just thinking of them. He was thinking of you and me. He was thinking of people that some days later, there would be this significant moment called the day of Pentecost where God's spirit would fall and thousands would get saved and come to know him as their Lord and Savior. He's not thinking of that finite moment just with the disciples. He wasn't thinking about just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wasn't thinking about those individuals. He was thinking about all of us. And he wants us to do the same. You see, as we turn to Palm Sunday and look to Easter, where in your life is there something that Jesus is wanting to do? Where in your life and who in your life is Jesus highlighting that you could reach? Someone in your life is waiting to meet with Jesus. They're waiting for you to invite them, for you to reach them. And I see people do it all the time. That's what I love about you, Milestone, is that you just keep saying yes. And when you keep saying yes, what happens is you keep reaching people. I can remember at 19 years old, I said yes. And my life from that point on hasn't been a life of hitting the target and making the best decisions. But I'll tell you what it has been to the best of my ability. It's been, I'm just going to say yes. What could happen this Easter if you just said yes to walking across the street to invite your neighbor that you think, man, they would never come. What could happen if you said yes to inviting that family or friend? What could, what could happen if you said yes to inviting that coworker? What might God do in your life? And what could happen if you just continue to live your life and recognizing that on Palm Sunday, the significance of it at all is that you live a life just saying yes. Because God's wanting to do something big in your life. Significant moment, just like this is for the people then at that time during Palm Sunday. But it may not look like you think. He's working. He's speaking. He's doing 10,000 things on your behalf, and you may be aware of three of them. But I just want you to know that this Palm Sunday, I hope you're reminded of the significance of that. More than a religious day, more than the Sunday before Easter, even more than the beginning of Holy Week, I pray that you'd make it personal that he went to extensive lengths to have a relationship with you because he loves you. As I thought about you and I thought about your families, I'm thinking about what even my life, what my life would look like 
If I hadn't said yes to Jesus when I was 19 years old, I know what my grandparents and my aunts and uncles look like, and it would probably be very similar. But what could happen in your life, in our life, in your friends and family's life, if you just continued to trust Jesus and take steps forward? You stopped being distracted and you started being aware and thinking of those around you who are just waiting for you to be used by God. 